3: You're listening to a podcast from The Word.
0: Here we are, it's 2021, and the hot story in popular music in 2021, occupying what used to be called Fleet Street, and certainly what is still called the BBC, is the vexed question of what happened all those years ago when the Beatles broke up. So no better opportunity to bring in a man who's published a, a book pretty much about the events around uh, uh, that occurred around about that that time old friend of the pod daniel rachel
4: daniel uh welcome daniel good to see you yeah good to see you both the yeah timing perfect timing incredible. i know it seems to be a revelation for most of the world that it was john lennon who wanted to leave the beatles first and yes. not paul mccartney which it's is taken fascinating. Over
3: 50 isn't it? Years to slip through.
4: I know, because old lags like us have known that for years. But anyway, <laughs> that's the way it is. So cut let, up with you. let me introduce the book. It's
0: like some forgotten dream. What if the Beatles hadn't split up? So uh, you must be quite pleased about all this publicity around the Beatles, in which well, you know I, that. Yes, I mean it's
3: perfect timing, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, I, I I think I had the idea. I had the idea of the book before everything was about to explode in Land again yes. <laughs> it's the perennial explosion <laughs> but uh, this is on a grander scale than we've seen for quite a while but then once there was wind of the peter jackson film that that was that's really what's behind all of this and and of course paul's lyrics but yeah. you know there's always a, a reason why a story breaks isn't there but uh, but no i mean the the, the the important thing is that that paul's been doing his revision. And whether or not he's, he, it, it's his revision or it's something that he's decided that wasn't the right thing to do was to blame John. I mean, he hasn't as much blamed John. He's just pointed out a fact. But, yeah. but, but, I, but uh, I mean, amongst Beatle aficionados as you, as you are, I mean, it's always quite clear that, that John Lennon did split up the Beatles. I don't think there's why, – why that's ever debated, really – it can only be because the top line doesn't say that. The top line is the, the April statement, isn't it? The daily that's right. That, that Paul splits it. But behind the scenes, um, John clearly says, and he's heard on tape, you know, I want a divorce. He wasn't the first, was he, either? You know, they'd all, I mean. Yeah, they'd all, well, like, Paul was the only right. one who
0: hadn't, hadn't
3: he? Oh, well, uh, well, well, interesting
4: uh, enough, Go on. H- history, then. history of Beatle flounces. That's quite a good place. Oh to no, start. Paul did flounce out when they're recording. She said, she said, that's didn't right, he? he didn't he storm out? He's not on that track. You look No, at it. no, he
3: doesn't play bass on "She Said, She Said." It, so so it Paul, start.
0: that's Paul's flounce. Yeah, Ring, Ringo certainly flounced, didn't he? he White is a, album. White album. Gets all George, the flowers. George flounced. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, he did flounce. There
4: you go. See you around the clubs, that one. <laughs> yes.
3: Never, never heard that, that phrase. It's oh, really? Not, oh, right. Not recorded. It's Michael Lindsay Hogg's memory. Ah. Uh, oh, okay. So but but the, the but during, I mean, this is the thing for like some forgotten dream. Well, I had one of the most extraordinary experiences as a Beatle fan of my life, which was I had access to almost a hundred hours of the audio tape of them at Twickenham and Apple. And and it's 20 days worth of material, starting from loosely nine in the morning to around five, six in the evening. And it felt, and you listen in on their rehearsals. And more than any film or book or magazine or anything I've ever, or even and all the records, more than anything I've ever heard of the Beatles, this gave me an understanding of the relationships between the four of them, and just just to tie in with what you, the link before that was that there's quite a lot of divorce uh, be- talk in on those tapes, um particularly between Paul and George, where I think Paul says George mentions divorce, and Paul says it's it's going to come soon.
0: So, <laughs> the first question: How did you hear 100 hours of? <laughs> You don't have to tell us the exact name of the man that you met in a, in a lay by on the A1. <laughs> How did you know? I got that wrong. How did He's you our get contact, it? too. <laughs> yes.
3: In time honored fashion, David, if I told you that, I would have to kill you.
4: All oh, right. OK, fine. <laughs> um, that was Blue Lake City. Absolutely. But I've just got to ask you about one moment. We were talking about it uh, earlier on, and you describe it. And you've obviously heard this. It's when George decides to leave the group. I I can't remember, was it February the 9th or January 9th, I can't remember, in in, in Twickenham, and then for 20 minutes they go into this extraordinary thing where Paul just starts making these howling feedback sounds, doesn't he, on his guitar, Ringo just thrashing wildly, Yoko Ono starts improvising, wailing, uh, kind of... (laughs) Just what just you want. And John, I think, starts just howling phrases from a Who song. And this goes on, I think you described it, for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then he says, let's get Eric Clapton in. What was it like listening to that? That's incredible. It just feels like a
3: tremendous outlet of emotion uh, that's been... Uh, with, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's yes, it's an extraordinary scene. And it comes after a row between George and John over lunch, The lunchtime row, to a degree, is audible on a recording, but there's so much clatter of teacups and saucers, you can't really work out what they're saying. And, and, and of course, the critical thing here is that in the Michael Lindsay Hogg film, the original film, that little spat with Paul... Happens on the sixth of January, four days before this incident. But the way history and, and I think Beatle memories have subsequently existed is that the two incidents are, are happened at the you know simultaneously. But right. you know, so, so four days later, there's a spat with John. And then George walks. but And, yes, the, you know, there's uh, y- Yoko shrieking on the microphone, George! It's just John! awful. I just, and I found the whole thing really upsetting.
0: A, a Yoko, Yoko, it's a classic. You can't believe nobody said, not now, Yoko. Not <laughs> now. <laughs> Leave well, it, well, darling. I
4: mean,
3: <laughs> it's so, so important, that, that point, David, because we, I think there's... there's I flatly disagree that Yoko is to blame for the Beatles' breakup. <laughs> she's she's absolutely a catalyst, but the blame is firmly John because John breaks the rule, doesn't he? And the cardinal rule of all Beatles rehearsals is we only the Beatles are in the rehearsal room, are only in the recording yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. They have guests, of course, and people drop in for for a session and to look in and say hi.
0: Never credited. Is that right? Who? Additional musicians on Beatles records, never credited.
3: Except for Billy Preston. Okay, that's, yeah,
0: so he... he Brian Jones Jones
3: is credited. Brian Jones, not credited.
0: Eric Clapton, not credited. Ronnie Scott. Sorry?
4: yes, Ronnie Scott, that's right. Okay, I I think,
0: isn't the horn player on whatever the tune is on, on, for no one or something like that, isn't he credited, Alan Civil? Oh. I've got a. Vi- I've got a. I, I may be completely wrong about that, but the
4: generally speaking, think he must be.
3: I don't think so. Not credited on the other thing.
4: Is he credited?
3: Grab the sleeve from behind you, David. <laughs> I, I
4: could do do that. I do that. Can you
3: locate
4: it. Is <laughs> it under R? Is it <laughs> yeah, under yeah, B? But a go, going back to Yoko, when you look at those bits of footage and when you you read that audio, it it just seems incredible, doesn't it? That what other walk of life would that. people allow? take a board meeting take anything you want and allow somebody's girlfriend or wife to come and sit there physically in the room in the middle and contribute i mean you use a bit where you say that she came up with ideas for how the film should end how let it be should end she has this idea they should play to a, an empty auditorium blah, blah, blah. yes so she's making creative suggestions i cannot understand how they put up with it. Can no, you? i mean there, there is a definite it, it
3: all the uh, various points in that period in '69. They they sit around drinking tea and having a buttered toast. And various people are in that circle of conversation. So excuse me. So definitely Yoko. Linda's there sometimes. And various other people, Dick James comes in. And so that kind that contribution to, to what's going on, maybe that's not so maybe maybe that's okay because it's conversational. It's more um, yeah, being part of the invasion of, of the creative. magic
4: circle. Yeah. yeah,
3: exactly. But but that's John's decision. Yoko was an artist in her own right. She was, uh, you know, she may not how successful she was is debatable, but she was when she was a name within Fluxus, she had put on her own exhibitions. She reached, obviously recently had an exhibition in London. She had her own status. And, and, and also she comes from very landed um, and gentrified background. You know, she's not somebody that's just shrinking violet. But we, I think we do have to be very careful, and Beatle history hasn't been careful, because it, it, I think there's xenophobia and racism involved in discussing Yoko Ono. Oh, Ovo yeah. Oh, yeah. Often, and, she, and, and 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 also because she doesn't look like the pin-up of, say, Patty Harrison or yeah. or, or Maureen, you know, but she was in her own way. And, and, and it's no way that we should be judging women anyway. But she was a very sexy woman, but it's not a sexiness that was recognised probably by English lads apart from John Lennon and, and a handful of others in this period. That has changed, I would say, in, in the way that British culture has changed over the decades.
4: Well, One last quick point about her. I read an interview with her a few years ago where she said that rather than split the Beatles up, she kept the Beatles together. She said that her theory was that that John Lennon didn't want to come to the studio for, um you know, for, for Abbey Road and uh, the Let It Be sessions and that he would only come if she would come with him. Do you think there's any, does that hold any water with you? I've heard
3: Yoko say that, why would it be in her interest for the Beatles to to split? You know, they were perhaps, you know, does she? So who knows, you know, it's hard to speculate these things. But during 69, she has an outlet with John, obviously, with the Plastic Ono band, and they're releasing records, and and they're going and, and having, you know, their own experiences. And the Beatle career and life coexists. So it was proving it could happen and wasn't detrimental to what if there was any end game in mind. I, I don't know. I mean, they were just as, as Paul says in 6 January 69, let the their young lovers, let them be. And his his whole shtick in that period is to say, you know, John's in love. We need to be accommodating to that. We should allow it. You know, we're not going to. We're not going to, um, John's not going to want to be with us more because we're at him. And I think that's very commendable of Paul. And I don't hit a side of him that's been, that's been a story, a side that's been told, you know, and it deserves to be. Paul comes out of this very, very well.
0: But it must have been strange. My God, it must have been strange. Before, <laughs> well, when they, they brought the, brought the bed into, into the Abbey Road with stations. another person.
3: But oh, you know, geez. when she has the bed, you know, again, again, it's John saying, "Come to the studio." But oh, let, I know, I, I believe that. I believe that. He but let's remember, he, they, they he definitely wanted crash. her there. He yeah, wanted they her had there. A car crash, had not they? Yeah, yeah. And she was just about to, uh, to, to miscarry again for the second time. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Could you imagine? The, you're totally in love. Then you, your <laughs> wife has a car crash, and then you lose a baby, and then twice. I mean, horrific time for John Lennon, plus the fact you're on heroin half the time. I mean, what a oh, mixed The, the, the
0: chaos is, <laughs> is of a kind that could only have had, We can't imagine it nowadays, 50 years later. But The thing that always dazzles me about the the Scottish jaunt that goes so badly <laughs> wrong is i can't remember the car is it a morris marina it's something oh yes it's something like, like
4: that. cortina or something is it yeah
0: it's something so on rockstar or whatever yes. and he was clearly everybody says he was blind as a bat yes. he had no business driving a car <laughs> at all but he drove it into scotland with his with his wife and and was one of them was Kyoto Kyoto and that. julian are on the back oh, seat oh yeah go yeah you know, you can't imagine it. No, obviously no security, no driver, all that. And unsurprisingly, he prangs it. And then the thing that struck me, just looking at your book this morning, because you obviously trace through all these events before you come to the what would have happened if they kept going, is that is that he has a, it's a bad accident and they're hospitalised, but the other Beatles carry on, don't they? I can't imagine that would happen nowadays. You know what I mean? They carry on making records, don't they? I think they do. They do. Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I mean the the, the Abbey Road Abbey Road sessions. Well, what what became the songs of Abbey Road it had already started from February. And yeah. Done, oh, John does pop in, doesn't he, at the beginning of get, the yeah, hour yeah. to say yeah.
4: hello. When yeah. I
3: mean, they do Maxwell Silver Hammer. I only know this date precisely because it's the day I was born. So, oh, really? It's always, no, like, it's always a great way to, 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 to value your worth by what <laughs> the Beatles were doing that day in the studio. Minor <laughs> are on Maxwell's Silver Hammer minus John.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so, the, the, uh, so what if the Beatles hadn't split up then is the subtitle of your book. So go on, tell us what you think would have happened if the Beatles hadn't split up.
3: Well, I think they were going to do another album. And this is this is the, 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 the key date in all of this is September the 9th, 1969. Ringo is in hospital and they have a board meeting at Apple and John comes in. And so they can record it for Ringo's benefit. So this is on cassette and Rick John comes in and says, right, we do another album Four, I write four songs. Paul, you do four, George, you do four. And Ringo, if he wants them, can have two. And this is this is incredible because Abbey Road has is finished and John wants to continue. Eleven days later, he then announces he wants a divorce. But what I say in this book is, is that if we if you were if the great if question that we you know, you can't help but want to fall into at some point in your life. And, And if not once, then a thousand times was. What would that album have been? And, and the critical thing of why John is saying is splitting it like a football formation 444-4-2, is that the, the great complaint in this final year of the Beatles is that each of them are feeling the three protagonists, mainly are feeling that they've got so many songs that the Beatles output isn't allowing them to get their worth onto vinyl. So my, my bold suggestion, and, 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 and I put it to the reader that this is really a parlor game and, you know, and I want to antagonise and, and cause an, a debate and an argument, because why wouldn't you about the Beatles? It's one of the great, great pastimes of your life. It's to say, if only somebody had said, how about a double album and each Beatle gets one side, so you have Lennon, Six songs, 20
4: minutes. Side two, McCartney. Six songs, 20 minutes. Should we read the most? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'll through just them. read out the, the, the list because I mean, it is really interesting. Also, another thing about that cassette is that on that, for the first time, they acknowledge the importance of George Harrison, <sighs> don't they? George Harrison, had would written 21 songs in the first six years and 30 songs in 1969. <laughs> Incredible and been put down repeatedly, and they suddenly say, Right, this is great, he's got to have equal footing. But anyway, so your thing is that your six tracks for each of them on the Lennon album is Instant Karma, Jealous Guy, Love, Make Love, Not War, Give Me Some Truth and God. The Harrison album is What Is Life, My Sweet Lord, Not Guilty, Wah Wah, Try Some, Buy Some and All Things Must Pass. McCartney album is Come and Get It, Maybe I'm Amazed, Another Day, Every Night, Junk in the Backseat of My Car. And Ringo's side is uh, It Don't Come Easy. I'm the greatest. Early 1970, Coochie Coochie, when every song is sung and suicide. So that's that's the that's the talking point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's clever because it strikes me what you've done is come up with a kind of formula, like uh, to do a kind of Ian McDonald's revolution in the head, and write about a load of songs that were effectively written during the Beatle time but never released by the Beatles. So you've you've told the story of each of those songs, haven't you?
3: that's exactly what i've done yeah exactly so 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 the third of the book is the setup a middle section to just take you through all the what ifs and missed opportunities and then this then then going through all the song stories and the great revelation to me was 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 realizing that say take a song right give me some truth it's astonishing to hear john and paul singing that together They'd obviously played it together in 68 at some point, because when they played it in 69, John, they can both sing, Paul can sing along with it as soon as John starts playing it.
4: Yeah, he and remembers just, all the words, doesn't he?
3: And yeah, just yeah. hearing their two voices. That's as great as you can ever wish for as a Beatle fan, isn't it, taking a solo song and hearing the other one on it. The, more, the most startling one, I think, is All Things Must Pass. Which they rehearsed in 69 over several days, many hours. And the great, I think the great achievement of the Beatles' arrangement is is two ideas. The first idea is a chorus where there's a three part harmony of, of John, Paul, and George. It's sensational and it's something that's absent. On, on the solo version, to, 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 which is a great shame. And the other idea that Paul has at one point is to try singing the chorus melody over the verse melody. That was it doesn't it doesn't gain um, traction in the, in in the rehearsal. It may have done had they continued to press with it, but it was a glorious idea. But it's more significant of that whenever that incredible chemistry of them came together. Their their ideas and ways of approach would go in a direction that no other four people in a room could generate. And certainly we do not hear on on those solo versions, you know.
4: Which is is why you feel they put up with so much tension and grief between them, because when the four of them were together, because I can't think of any other group where the four members, all of them, Contributed so much to the arrangement and the performance of those songs. They're not just great songs. It's the fact that the Beatles are playing them and arranging them that makes them great.
3: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I. And I mean, there's a there's a there's a a lovely moment where you hear um, I Me mean Mine being written, uh, and and it, they haven't got the fast you know twelve bar bit in the middle, and it, it just hangs on an A minor chord, and then Ringo starts playing. And yeah. puts that kind of emphasis on the ride symbol, and it and it, and you hear, you can almost tangibly hear George and Paul honing in on that to go, whoa, where does that take us? And it's just this little, it's uh you know, it's a seed. Ringo plants a seed, and and the, the others water it, and this that that's the greatness of a band over being a solo artist. And this is
0: it. So what yeah. what, you're, what you're saying is that. um that they could have recorded all these songs and they could have put them out as an album, and they would have been better than the yes. versions that ended up coming out.
3: I think undoubtedly. In- uh, <laughs> und- undoubtedly. I mean, I'm hesitant to be critical of Klaus Vormann as a bass player because, you know, on those first couple of John Lennon albums, or well, particularly the first one, he does exactly what that album requires, absolute minimalist. The, the second album, perhaps not but when you but who is comparable to Paul McCartney
0: no no yeah know. and that's why Paul McCartney of all the well George Harrison there was a hugely successful solo record but you know you listen to what makes ram good is he could kind of do the other beatles couldn't he to a certain extent in a way that john couldn't do him
3: <laughs> do you see, do you see what i mean it's interesting i mean i would then look at say something like backseat of my car And that uh, structurally, I've always felt uh, uh, has got one too many repeats, and it doesn't have the tightness. Uh, I mean, my contention is that if you look at, you'd be hard pushed to find any Beatles song where you would question the arrangement. More so, pick up on any form of showboating whatsoever. The Beatles are the archetypes of serving the song at the the Mm. expense of their musicianship yeah that isn't the case with paul mccartney in the 70s and and i think on back backseat to my car perhaps is a very good example of that in that again it was a song that generates from 68 was paul was playing toying with a twickenham but in the final um uh version of that you know, the, the, there's a lot of Beach Boy style harmonies as there were, say, on backs back in the USSR, but it's not the Beatles kind of harmonies. And the I don't know, there's something I, I question the arrangement of it, but it, everything is forgiven when Paul gives that almighty scream to you know, towards the end of the song. Do you know the bit where I mean, yeah. where yeah. the, the song collapses in on itself to nothing and he just. What? <laughs> you just go,
4: That's very like, good. My whole That's good. You've practiced that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to your point about they, they were all immensely prolific at that point. Yeah. In terms of writing songs, Paul continued to be really. George did for a while and then wasn't anymore. John did for a while and then stopped. It, why do you think that is? Because they didn't have. They didn't have the structure of a group to make them do it, you know. Because if you, you keep going, I keep going back to with Paul, and this this book has loads of evidence of this. Um, is that in any group, there is always one member who is proposing things, huh. there's always one person going, I'll tell you what, let's do this, and it's always criticized, for and it's it it always as well. criticized for it. But by they're, all the thing they're they're is getting the ball rolling, by, yes, by the people who then really miss them when they're not there you know what I mean <laughs> well Paul Paul I you been thinking about this because I've just reviewed his song lyrics book and the thing that strikes me about Paul McCartney is how much of it he's done so Paul McCartney has the self-discipline to get up in the morning and think I'm gonna write a song yeah no no I've got an album coming out next week I better write a song no I'm gonna write a song the rest of them sort of
1: didn't have
0: that did they
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
3: Well, I, I don't, I, I wondered that changes over the course of their life, of the Beatles' lifetime, because you, I, I, I get the impression that that role was John in the, in the, in the early years.
0: Oh, it's certainly early on. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And so something changes, but I, I suspect what changes is Paul's peerless, Musicianship, and yeah. I think what you're talking about is the musical direction of songs, and that again is clearly evident in '69. And Paul's ability, musicality, is is quite extraordinary. Um, and that, in saying that, George is pretty damn good in that yeah. this period. He produces quite a lot of artists, as you know, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, extracurricular work, <laughs> and he and he comes up with some great records and ideas. But yeah, I mean, but I in, in terms of what happens in that period and and into the 70s i mean these are people that there's the there's the factor of maturing isn't there? and you know the beatles happens why they're predominantly in their 20s and then at some point you know a commitment to relationships i guess and the fact that you're getting into your 30s naturally changes you as a person albeit that you know there's been marriages and girlfriends all the way along the line you know but they have been, you know, uh, Cynthia's often forced to take a, a secondary role. But it seems that come 69, 70 and into the 70s, the Beatles themselves want their partners, their families to have equal extra oh, yeah, status yeah, yeah. in their everyday. And that's going to affect a band undoubtedly.
4: Didn't you feel, though, that, I, I was thought with George, that he'd achieved this, this level with, with, uh, with All Things Must Pass and seemed quite happy not to try and, and reactivate that level, not to try and maintain that level. He seemed to think, well, that's, that's you know, I'm happy with what I've achieved. And John Lennon, I always got the impression, wanted to get back to a level equal with McCartney, but just didn't, we just wasn't capable of doing it. Do you think that'd be true? Uh, uh, well, my, my, my,
3: my, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, what's the level of Paul McCartney in the 70s? I
4: mean, Well, and c- the c- level of commercial success and critical acclaim
3: well there is but it's 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 sporadic isn't it i mean do you do you would you, would you point to a great after ram I, i'm i'm not convinced there's any great paul mccartney albums or wings albums i know yeah. that people will say band on the run but i think that's top heavy side one yeah well, with, with a few exceptions
4: you know i don't know paul i always got the impression band? that M- mccartney was so much better off as just McCartney, than than L- without Lennon, uh, as it were, could survive better without Lennon than Lennon could without McCartney. Do do you rate his? Do you would you rate a Wings album above a Beatles album? Yes, well, not above a Beatles album, no, but oh. certainly above the Lennon albums. You know, I felt I felt Lennon's output was quite quite disappointing, really. And there are some great yeah. moments. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, mean, our I'd Dream say, is fantastic. I mean, I think the first three John Lennon
3: albums are great, and then there's there's great moments within other albums but but um, i mean there aren't that many actually are there? yeah comparatively but i don't know i mean I, I, it's a tricky game getting into that comparison yeah, because yeah it, it is. is a bit yeah. like it's a bit like today when you go and watch noel gallagher and you think oh i wish there was a great frontman liam and you go and watch liam and you go i wish there was a great songwriter <laughs> <No>. it's <laughs> yeah. the same thing you spend your whole yes. time merging two different yeah, yeah. things together you know you go and see this, the specials and you think where's Jerry you know and yeah, that's right you, you always do it and I think ultimately that's what you do do that as much as you can find pleasure and enjoyment in any one of the solo records even and there's plenty of great Ringo material in the 70s too you just know it's it's lacking yeah. the others but then you yeah. say that I mean, yeah. one of the examples on um, like some forgotten uh, dream is is I'm the greatest you know, from of, of Ringo's album, and that's got three Beatles on that track. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I think I bring this point up in the book, is that there are many examples throughout the Beatles' career where there are less than four Beatles on any yeah, one yeah, track. absolutely. Sometimes there's only one Beetle. Sometimes there's two. Sometimes there's three. So therefore, the question I then ask myself is: Well, what constitutes a Beetle record? It's not the amount of Beatles, is it? It's all, and then so then I then decided it's what's stamped on the cover. Yeah, yeah, is it? I don't know, or well, is it? it it's also yeah. uh, the, the
0: other thing is, and it's kind of relates to something I was going to throw in is that if you're, if you're in the Beatles, let's say you're George Harrison. Your confidence about your material grows massively because you know it's going to be done by the Beatles. (laughs) Seriously, you're not you on your own, you're you with these absurdly talented people who who have had more hits than anybody's ever had. And they're going to say, Yes, as soon as they say, Taxman, whatever, that's a good idea you' You're twice the size, aren't you and and they're probably they're going to throw in loads of musical ideas that are going to make these things better whereas once you're out there on your own in the cold and you're the guy who's got to go to the record company or the producer and say, "Here's my demos and and the, and the producer is just Jack Douglas or whoever who's just <laughs> going to go, "Great, John, because you're John Lennon." Whereas you know if you're playing them to Paul McCartney and George Martin, slightly different story.
3: Yeah, that changed, didn't it, for Paul when was when he did um uh what when he did the one with what's the radio head producer called, Nigel Godrich, wasn't it? Yeah, like, right. Creation in the Backyard. Oh yes, yes. The great it, stories that Nigel Godrich, uh, In fact it, he told me this. He said he turned them down, he flattened them a few songs, didn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And Paul McCartney said, but I'm Paul
4: McCartney. I'm yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I can remember I talking to George saying, Martin but- around Pipes of Peace. And George Martin told me that McC- McCartney had come to him with all these songs. He said, four of them we will record straight away. Four of them need work. And said, and the other four I think you should abandon. And he said that McCartney just, it had been a long time since somebody had said something like that to him. Well, he was completely, st- and also it was, but he could take it because it was George Martin. Well, I guess the the thing inter- ch- sorry. No, I was gonna say that he he needed that. He needed that kind of AR yeah. a- 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 input.
3: I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that there's a there's a there's a hangover in 1970 and 71 of the Beatle mindset that informs the original Beatle records, which is understandable, the osmosis in each of them, carrying their partners with them. But then, you know, as we know, John was undoubtedly the most in- insecure of the four Beatles. And so he leans on two of them, Ringo and George the most. So, you know, as I say, three of them on many occasions. And that is a, that's a balm, I, I would imagine, both outside of the studio in the tea room and and in the studio as well. He needed mm-hmm. that, that security. Paul had a lot more inner strength, but, you know, perhaps he gets that from Linda, you know, and there's, you know, there's a, I think there's an incredible story that, that I don't know the ins and outs of, but when Paul knows that John wants a divorce, you know, we know he goes up to Campbelltown and and grows his beard even heavier, and and he's waking up drinking bottles of whiskey, and he always says it's Linda, that you know, phys- you know, um, literally meta- and 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 uh, and met- what's the word I'm thinking literally metaphorically metaphorically, metaphorically. To- takes the pillow from off his head, so he's not going to, you know, drown in his own you know, weight of existence, and that that whatever happened there must have been extraordinary. And you know, and then his, I guess, his dedication to Lindrover for the rest of his life is quite incredible, really. On a, it, it's account.
0: quite interesting. I don't know if you read the the piece in the New Yorker this week, by uh, David Romnick about, about Paul McCartney, where he's talked to a lot of people, and uh, most very illuminating things from McCartney's daughters, Mary and uh, and Stella. Who both say? I think they both say this. We realise now, looking back, our upbringing was kind of clouded slightly by our father's depression huh. post Beatles. That he was kind of dealing with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that he, that, you know, that, that he'd come out of this this life changing experience, and and it, it had hurt him. The whole thing and, the, and all that for kind of a long time
4: sniping with John Lennon and so forth yeah. really hurt him. for a long time. And those yeah. records, making those records, were, were therapy, weren't they? Yeah, yeah.
3: And yeah. also, his last, his last relationship working relationship with John is his, is his, the partner he loves is, is a, is, is struggling with heroin. That yeah. can't be easy for it. It's bad enough when your best mate's an alcoholic, you know, imagine somebody you know yeah. going to into, yeah. and, and you know and, the, and and the great question that i've never been able to find a satisfactory answer to is is why the beatles don't record cold turkey and um, and you go again within this book you know i i even take the liberty of suggesting there may have been an ep to go with their 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 new album four sides of the beatles and and the one of the and i give each beatle one track and John's is Cold Turkey. And we know that at that meeting on September the 9th, when he said one more album, John proposed Cold Turkey. And, and they turn it
4: down flat, don't they?
3: But, but what did they turn down, Mark?
4: Well, I thought they turned down the, the fact that he wanted that to be the new A side, wasn't it? Yeah, but, but, but it, what
3: is that? Is that a verbal? Is that he plays it on guitar? Is he playing a cassette? And I've never understood what, what, they, what it is he's presented.
4: And I've, but they must they, they were aware of the song obviously weren't they how he must have played it to them had he or would there I be da- would there be evidence of that
3: well that's what well, that's my point is i it's never substantiated this 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 idea and what we do know is particularly from the Jan wenner interview is that john could sound off and say all kinds of manner of things some were true and some were not i mean he makes many claims in that Post period, post Beatles, or the period before the split and straight after of songs that he had written fifty percent of, you know, and the Rigby, where yeah. you know I think George and Ringo had a greater claim than John on that. But but what he did, he, did it? Did the Beatles genuinely turn it down? And then anyway, you know, um, uh, who plays on Cold Turkey? Ringo plays on Cold Turkey, doesn't he? For so, it so can't be Ringo turning it down. And, um, and isn't George at one of the sessions early on? Or am I confusing that with instant karma? Anyway, but I'm just intrigued by that. What was Paul turning down? Why would they be scared of a song about drugs anyway? You know, everybody's got well, something to um, hide except for me and my monkey. Well, I suppose the
0: tur- cold turkey would have been a bit much for the Beatles to put their name to.
4: In but I think but so right. too. And just, also, it's, an entire, it's entirely about John Lennon and John yes. Lennon's experience. <laughs> so their songs didn't yeah, tend okay. to be like that. But isn't Ballad of John and Yoko? Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair
0: enough,
3: fair
0: enough, Well, it is. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, and why it hit, doesn't it go? In, you know. Yeah, well, it becomes oh. it's bizarre but it becomes a hit. I mean, it's all that stuff that is is amazing when you read it to be reminded of it, and the things like the Toronto Live Peace Festival or whatever they were only called up the day before. <laughs> Would you like to fly? <laughs> People talk about things move fast in popular music nowadays. Would you like to fly to Toronto? You've probably never been to Toronto. And appear in front of 100,000 people at a rock festival with a band who've never been on the stage before. They rehearsed on the plane, didn't they? Rehearsing on the plane. To at least two of them have a major drug problem. Uh, and you're just going to see how it goes. Can you imagine that that's going to occur ever again in popular music and and it happened you know they just did these things because you know and this is why I, you know when i when i look at all the fuss in the in the in the papers and the, the bbc and so forth this week about who broke up the beatles and, all, and people still suffering you know angst about the beatles having been broken up i think the thing that everybody forgets is that when the beatles broke up in 1970 they had been together as far as the public was concerned for what seven eight years as far as the public were concerned that was longer than any group in the world there weren't any who'd been, who'd been around longer than that were <laughs> there Mark I don't think there were shadows are broken up by that point
4: huh. I don't think Why they were, I don't they were. I've never thought that they, yeah, would they just the longest were, period of time. Groups
0: were groups were young you know, yeah. that's where they were so the Rolling Stones have been around nearly as long as the Beatles and you know and and the Rolling Stones were at the point where they where they could very easily have broken up, in yeah. 1971, very easily, you know. When they relocated to uh, to France, uh, you know, there weren't I mean great people like the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. They hadn't been together as long as that. Huh. You know, you look at the acts who played at Woodstock. All the big acts at Woodstock all had all had, short, after all had the shorter Beatles. careers than the Beatles. Yeah. And you know, so there was just no no president. So I can remember this happening. You know, I was like 18, 19, 20. And you just thought, oh, it's kind of inevitable. You know, it's amazing that they've they've stuck together as
4: long as they have kind of well, I, I didn't even think that but was it's, amazing. It's interesting that there are two occasions. One was with Ray Connolly, um, where John Lennon tells Ray Connolly, I think in September or October or something, that he's left the Beatles on the plane, coming back. On the plane. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And Ray Conley does not print that. Yes. And later on, I think McCartney tells somebody from Life magazine. Yes. This is uh, incredible. Caroline Bacon. No, I'm trying to remember her name now. Um, Dorothy. Do- Dorothy Bacon. That's right. Dorothy, Dorothy Bacon. Tells her that he's left the Beatles and she doesn't print it either. No, that so, is printed. That was printed.
3: It's printed. And, and I make the point in the book about this. It's, it's, it's a bit like the T.S. Eliot, you know, not with a bang, but a whimper. And it's printed, and and he says the
4: Beatles are no more. And but nobody picked up on it. Exactly, it's extraordinary. I I couldn't really understand why. Is it that people just couldn't quite? I don't know. Just didn't want to acknowledge it might be true. I'm not. I'm perhaps just it's, no it's, idea. Perhaps it's like the
3: Morning Cleve. Yeah. Know, with, with John and Jesus, and you know, February February sixty six, isn't it that article? And it oh, it appears in Appears in Britain with no film.
0: comment whatever. And then it's picked up about a year later, yeah. something
3: like that. That summer, that summer in the state. Okay. Yeah.
0: But yeah. I think also you come back to this, the life cycle of uh, of groups in those days. How did you know groups were together? Well, they put out two albums a year and four singles, you know, you'd know that they weren't together if they hadn't done that for a year. Whereas, if you two had broken up four years ago, would we know now? No, no. <laughs> it wouldn't make any difference, you know, because everything is so much slower.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think the um, remarkable thing about the, the, the Beatles story at this point also is that um, despite the fact that they're having all these incredible uh, arguments and recriminations behind the scenes and the tussles with who should business manage the band and, you know, that when they get in, into the studio, and all of that is put to one side, and their ability to create music, you could you could quite ha- easily argue that what the Beatles record in '69 is the greatest material the band ever did. Isn't that incredible? It that,
4: is, and done at such speed, so spontaneously. Yeah, I can never get over the fact. that with ballad of John and Yoko. That I think the day before. Well, two days before that was recorded, they'd had the most almighty row about the new management. Was it Klein? Was it whatever? And they were absolutely not speaking to each other. And yet when John Lennon rang up Paul and said, will you come in and make this song entirely about me and my life <laughs> right now and play all the other instruments, he was there. Thank I can you. only
3: suppose that some of the rancor that we read about isn't as harsh as it's perhaps oh, okay. suggested. Yeah. or Possibly. Or the, the, the love for one another, cuts so deeply that that surpasses all. The idea of making music is greater yeah. than anything. And it's, uh I think that's fascinating. It really is in, incredible. Even, you know, yeah. I, I, but like you said earlier, David, it's quite strange that they record the basis of Abbey Road in July for, I think, 10 days, 11 days, most more than half the tracks without John being there because he's recuperating that is odd isn't it the leader of the band let's go on without him what is your take on that well i don't know i think i think
0: i don't i don't know they they like to be busy didn't they
3: yeah they weren't
0: all saying you know they weren't thinking I'd like to take me yacht out for 3 months and, and then I'll fit in a little bit of recording at the end of it they were they were working musicians they were of a kind of they were of a generation, weren't they?
4: Where you just did things absolutely all the time. And also they would have thought, let's just take these songs and just start putting them through the yeah. process and start evolving them. And I wonder if John really minded that much. No, I mean, wouldn't I, he I, have no, been happy I to think I that those songs were in motion? And that at some stage, so slightly later on, he would come in and, and put in his contribution. I, yeah. I I can understand it really.
3: Yeah, and a lot of those songs had been rehearsed already. So then yeah. they'd been yeah. from Silver Hammer. Spent a lot of time in January working on that, where there's a great whistling passage which they which George and John seem to really enjoy uh, adding to, where uh, the, each of the verses is linked by them whistling a melody. It's a great, a lovely moment. I hope it's on the new release.
4: Have you heard that? Is it no? On- no, where did, you, is that, where did you hear all this? Is this from the audio that you were listening to?
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And so that idea that that John always scoffed at Maxwell Silverhammer, you don't get that sense listening no, to these tapes at all. It's another song. We all work on it. And and you know, they were both as capable, all three of them.
4: Well, you, you know? said a lot of really glib things for
3: yeah, people say
0: it's the kind of thing that all of the, they're all susceptible to this. Is once you put them in a, in a room with Jan Wenner or whoever it is, yeah. Yeah, it kind of rocks sophisticated. They try and impress them. That's huh. just naturally what they do, you know. And uh, huh. rather than defend stuff, no, we did this and we like it. That's fine. extraordinary, what is that?
3: actually. I've never, because I, 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 I've never been a journalist. Is that something that you've experienced? there? You, you've met Paul McCartney? Would he try yeah. and impress you in an interview? Yes. Really? Not desperately, but yes. How? Oh, oh God! Um,
0: if you. If you, uh, how, if you would suggest... I was talking to Mark
4: about this. Musical knowledge, isn't it? Talking about other groups.
0: It's it's, it's very interesting in the commentary in in this lyrics book, which is done by uh, American poet Paul Muldoon. And there's loads of things in the commentary where, and, and it's all in Paul's voice, but I got the strong impression... The what that Paul McCartney been talking about the song and Paul Muldoon had been saying, Oh, that's a bit like King Lear or whatever. Yes. And Paul will go, It's a bit like King Lear. <laughs> you know, because that that's, the, that's There a are various things in doing. that book,
4: aren't there, Dave, that you yeah. can't quite imagine Paul McCartney no, saying. No, yeah. There's yeah. certain words that he uses that yeah. don't sound conversational to yeah. him at all. <laughs> and it's probably just that, um, yeah, that, that, that they were they were sort of put into his mouth by, well, by the interviewer. And that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm not knocking Paul McCartney for doing it at all. But if you were to talk to Paul McCartney and you were to talk about a piece of music that he might not have heard, he would probably say, oh, yeah, I think I've heard that.
3: Brilliant. Poor I
4: think, think he probably,
3: probably would. I <laughs> think he probably would,
0: because because the last thing he wants to be accused of is being kind of behind the beats.
3: Exactly, and that's fair enough. You know. Yeah. No. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And and this is always the the, the this the strange error I think in discussing what happened with the breakup of the Beatles and subsequently is is, is there's a sense of how do each of the Beatles want to position themselves yeah. in the story? And, and you know, as we know, when you retell history, your memories crunch and you position yourself as the protagonist anyway. But added to which, I've always found it interesting that we only have John's thoughts until he was a 40-year-old. We have George's thoughts until he was a 60-year-old. Yeah. And we have Paul's now until he and Ringo's as, as they go into their 80s. 80s and so and that's that's 40 years more time to contemplate revise change yeah. you know and, and it's there's an imbalance between the memory oh, there, there is
4: and they can they can also if they want to um modify the truth because there's two people there not to uh, call their bluff and it's it's only the 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 inside members of the beatles who know the real story yeah i, I always I, Right, let's finish with this question. Mark,
0: can you remember what you were doing in nineteen sixty-eight, for instance? In
4: detail. Can you? <laughs> um, not in detail, I can remember, yes. I mean you, you can work it out oh, afterwards. Yeah, pre- precisely, yeah. Because you know where you were at school or whatever, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can I can paint a mental picture of that day and what I was wearing and who I was with and whatever. Yeah, my it, life at the time. Is it genuine memory or is it reconstructed? I think it's genuine. Oh, okay. okay, fine. I don't know.
0: You see, if you're Paul, if you're Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr, you must have just recapitulated this so many times that you must think I'm not sure I do remember really what actually. Why do
3: things try to see things my way? <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose, and here they are. Oh, I'm <laughs>
0: here they are. You know, with people still, you know, their their tapes. You know, which years ago were considered, you know, never going to be of any interest to anybody, you know, it would have been uh, suddenly the basis of Peter Jackson films, you know. Um, Every syllable being
4: pulled. It's, it's interesting because productive. this also proves that this really did happen this way because those tapes exist. So it must be interesting for him to be able to, it'll be fascinating for him to watch the film. Yeah, this and, is uh, like finding the DNA
3: in a crime scene, isn't it? 50 years after we well, can so, finally pin it on Lennon. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't,
0: I don't think it'll be the last time. I, I think. Well, they, you know, people will be back on this story in years to come. There's the book, like some forgotten dream, by Daniel Rachel, out now. Um, Daniel, it's been lovely to talk to you. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. <laughs>